Good morning. My name is Clayton. I'm one of the pastors here at Reunion, and I'm really glad to be able to share with you guys today. We are wrapping up our final week of our Balanced series today, and throughout this series, we have been talking about our finances, which, if we're honest, depending on your church background, your church history, this may not be your favorite topic to talk about at church. You may have some baggage around this topic, which is why over the past few weeks, we have said over and over again that God is not out to get your money. God does not want to get your money, but he doesn't want your money to get you, right? God wants your heart. He wants your devotion and your allegiance. And since money can be a huge competitor for our devotion, we have to learn to achieve proper balance with our finances, or we run the risk of disastrous impacts on other aspects of our lives. Balance is so important. I mean, have you ever felt out of balance? Last year, early in the pandemic, early in lockdown, something kind of strange happened to me. Uh, I woke up one night, and when I rolled over to go back to sleep, the room just started spinning. Uh, I thought I was going to be sick, and when I got up to go to the bathroom, I couldn't even make it because the spinning only got worse. Right? I, I couldn't walk from one end of the room to the other. And this was really scary for me and for my wife, Kate, because we had no idea what was going on. We had no idea what was causing this, and you know, we called... Um, you know, and got the first doctor appointments that we could for me. And after a telehealth appointment and after an in-person appointment with a specialist, uh, I was told that I had what's called viral vertigo. Basically, um, there was an infection in my inner ear, which would cause um, problems whenever my head changed positions, right? If I went from laying down to standing up or from, from sitting up to standing up, uh, looking down at all, or even just turning my head to look from, from one place to another, all of these things would induce this episode of dizziness. And they would even cause my eyes to have this like, almost like a seizure where they would bounce back and forth uncontrollably, which caused my surroundings to actually look as though they were really spinning around me. Uh, and this was not only disorienting, it was it was debilitating, right? I mean, my wife had to take care of me and she did an amazing job at that. Um, there would be times I was walking from, from one room in our house to the other and I would have to take a knee because I was gonna fall over uh, and I would have to wait there until the, the room stopped spinning. And when that happened, my wife would uh, you know, help me up. She would help me get where I was going. She made sure I didn't hurt myself. Um, she, she was amazing, honestly. Um, but that was before the diagnosis, right? Like when we thought that this might actually be a serious problem. Uh, but once we were told by a doctor that like I could take some pills and I would basically be better in like two weeks, um, my total inability to help with chores or to go for walks or to even leave the house really at all uh, became a little bit more annoying. Um, and at one point, I mean, like I could be laying in the middle of the floor waiting for the room to stop spinning and Kate would just like step over me to, to make her way to the kitchen. Um, or I could wake up in the middle of the night and the room could start spinning. I would like grab Kate's arm and be like, it's happening again. And she would just be like, you really didn't need to wake me up for this. Like this meeting could have been an email kind of a thing. Um, she really did do an amazing job taking care of me. And, and I'm not just saying that because today's Valentine's day. Uh, but I really was useless for like that week and a half. Um, you know, not having balance made it impossible for me to do the things that I wanted to do. It made it impossible for me to do the things that I, I thought were important things. Um, just balance is so crucial for us. And I think the same holds true when it comes to our finances. In week one of this series, Jeff explained to us that if we're going to achieve balance in our finances, we need to understand how balance works. And so Jeff shared with us what he called the three laws of balance. The first law of balance Jeff said was that, you know, you need a reference point. You need a point of reference. And 
to stay balanced in our finances, that reference point is going to be knowing where our money is going, right? Our money is always going somewhere. So we need to know where that is. And once we have that reference point, we can move on to, to the second law of balance, which is that we need to make constant corrections. We have to be able to make these adjustments. We have to be able to make these corrections to get ourselves into balance, but we also need to be able to make these corrections so that we can keep ourselves in balance because we live in an ever-changing world. Our, our lives are always changing. Our financial needs are always changing. So we have to be able to make uh, those uh, constant corrections based on our reference point. The third law of balance is that you need a clear objective. Now, when it comes to the area of our money and our finances, we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of the guiding principles and the values that we want to live by, the, the things that we want to dictate our decision-making process. And we will come back to that in more detail in just a few minutes. But as we dive into our discussion for today, I want to point out something kind of interesting to me, and that is that most people, most people, tend to have a very similar list of financial priorities. And that, that list usually goes something like this. Priority number one is usually spending. And if, if we're honest, we're all pretty good at that one, right? Priority number two is repaying debt, which often is really dependent on how we spent or misspent our money in priority number one. Uh, for example, if you like to spend a lot, then it's more likely that you're going to have more debt to repay. Priority number three for most people is paying taxes, right? This is something that is mandatory. So hopefully we're all doing that. It's the law. Uh, priority number four is uh, saving, right? This is something at the end of the month, we may put some money away based on what's left. Uh, and priority number five is giving. You know, finally, if there's something left, if there's anything left after priorities number one, two, three, and four, then we might give some money away to people we have relationships with, people in our community, charities in our city, or even, you know, to our local church. Most people's financial priorities look something like that. Um, and just to make the root issue of those priorities a little bit more clear, let's go back through that list one more time and let's put a little bit of a different spin on that just to show what these priorities are really about. Right? We said priority number one is, is spending. That's usually about ourselves, right? That's usually about me. Uh, priority number two, repaying debt, also usually about me. Priority number three, uh, paying taxes. <laughs> you know, th that's really about the country and the state. So you could say that's about other people, but um, you know, it's also mandatory. So <laughs> it doesn't really count. Priority number four, saving, usually about me, about my future. Priority number five, finally giving. Uh, this is where God and others, you know, finally enter that picture. Those are often our financial priorities, but it really isn't about just our finances, is it? Like if we're really honest, the way we order this list also reflects the posture of our hearts. And this can pose a problem for people who have pledged their allegiance to Jesus because this list of priorities or any list that looks like this does not line up with the teachings of Jesus or the heart of Jesus at all. Right, both the Old and the New Testament, both the part of, of Scripture that was written before Jesus was born and the part that was written after he was born, uh, both of those talk a lot about money. And while the specifics of the wisdom that Scripture has to offer on this topic you know, is often situational, there is a principle which stays consistent throughout all of Scripture and is still very much true today. If you are only going to take one thing away from this message, this needs to be it. Like if you're taking notes, <laughs> write this down. Uh, if you're not taking notes, probably still write this down. Uh, this is the principle. It is the way that we prioritize and manage our finances, not how much money we have, but the way that we prioritize and manage the money that we do have says a lot 
about where we are in our relationship with God. I'll say that again. The way we prioritize and manage our finances says a lot about where we are in our relationship with God. I love the way that Jeff said this a few weeks ago when he said that if you are consistently out of balance in your finances, either by overspending or by hoarding your resources, then you are also out of balance in your relationship with God. I mean, think about that list of priorities that we just went through and ask yourself, what is God's place in that system? What is God's place in that structure? The mindset that we bring to thinking about our money is often incredibly me-centric. And aside from like mandatory taxes, compulsory taxes, other people and even God don't actually make the list of priorities until they're an afterthought. Not only does this speak to our view of God and others, but it also reveals how much we trust God and how willing we are to be a part of building his kingdom. If you are a Jesus follower, then how you prioritize your money is going to expose one of two things for you. It's either going to expose a posture of trust and eagerness to be a part of establishing God's kingdom, or it will display a posture of distrust toward God and an unwillingness to be a part of establishing any kingdom other than your own. This posture of distrust, if you really think about it, is kind of ironic, right? Even when we don't trust God with our finances, even when we decide to manage all of our finances to benefit us, and we throw God just the leftovers every now and then, even in that posture of distrust, many of us still have no problem calling out to God to swoop in and rescue us when our financial mismanagement gets us into trouble. I mean, for example, many of us have no problem asking God for a better paying job so that we can pay off the things that we already bought for ourselves that we couldn't afford in the first place. It's like we don't trust God enough to lead us through the upfront decision-making but we do trust God when we need a get out of debt free card. It's just not consistent. And not only is it not consistent, but it actually disregards what we know about God's character, right? If you're a Jesus follower, then you believe that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to give his life to deal with sin once and for all and to reunite us to himself. That is the generous heart of God on display. That is the trustworthiness of God on display. God has held nothing back from us, even at great personal cost to himself. So doesn't it seem ridiculous then to follow that God, but not trust him when it comes to our bank accounts? I mean, just think about the logic of trusting God's love and generosity when it comes to rescuing us from sin, but then placing him fifth on our financial priority list. Jesus himself actually spoke about this issue in Matthew chapter six. And as we read this, this text, I want us to to remember that Jesus is speaking to his disciples in front of a crowd of ordinary people. Like this is not something Jesus said to especially holy people or like the religious overachievers, nor is this instruction given to wealthy elite, the wealthy elite, right? Uh, as we read this, I want us to remember Jesus is talking to ordinary everyday people. And I want us also to have in the back of our minds that list of financial priorities that we just went through. This is what Jesus had to say to ordinary everyday people. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Once again, God does not want to get your money, but he does not want your money to get you. He goes on, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, not even a king in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, right? What shall we spend our money on for ourselves? He says, for the pagans run after these things. This is the way that people who don't even believe in a generous and loving God manage their finances. Jesus says that the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's read that one more time. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says that we spend so much of our energy and time worrying about the things that we're going to buy for ourselves. But if we would seek first his kingdom, then those needs would still be met. Our needs would be met. Jesus is telling us, in effect, to flip our priorities, to invert that list that we went through so that it looks something more like this, right? In, in this list of priorities, uh, giving would be number one. And this is not a ploy to get you to give more money to the church. Personally, I care a lot less about where you give your money than I care about you uh, living a gospel-motivated life of generosity, that means giving to uh, you know, people in your life that you have a relationship with, giving to people in your neighborhood, giving to charities in our cities that you believe are doing the work of establishing God's kingdom, a more just and equitable and merciful society. And it also means giving to the local church. Priority number two would be saving for the future. Priority number three would be paying taxes. Jesus is very clear about taxes. He says, just pay them. Priority number four would be paying debt, although depending on your financial situation, this might actually be priority number two for you. Uh, it might need to be priority number two for you because, um, you know, just the truth is you will be able to have more impact in the kingdom of God when you're not weighed down by oppressive debt. And priority number five would be spending on ourselves. We would actually come in last in this priority list. This is where the, the, the rubber meets the road, right? And it can be difficult to make these adjustments. And the truth is, like Jesus said, many Christians think about their finances the same way that non-Christians do. And if you don't account for a loving and generous God, then inverting that priority list, it's not going to make sense. But when you do account for a loving and generous God, then nothing could be more logical. We are called to build God's kingdom here and now. We are called to build his kingdom. And that doesn't mean having really good church attendance. <laughs> Establishing God's kingdom means investing our time, our energy, our effort, and yes, even our finances in God's kingdom. Because God has this way of including his people in what he's doing. He has this way of even delegating responsibilities to them, to us. And personally, I think that's one of the most beautiful and inclusive things about God. But it does mean that when the people of God have their finances out of balance, or when the people of God are not generous, then the mission of God suffers. And so this morning, I want to leave us with, with two questions for reflection. Number one, when you look at Jesus, where do you see a discrepancy between what Jesus values and what you value? Where do you see a difference between what Jesus values and what you value? And question number two, what next step can you take this week to invest in those areas of, of discrepancy? 
right? Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The order of that statement is intentional, right? We tend to care about the things that we invest in, which means that we have responsibility for the things that we care about. But it also means that we have a great freedom to actually be able to choose what we care about. We get to choose what we value. We get to choose where our heart is by adjusting where our resources go. And so if we care about the things that we invest in, if that's really true, then our next step toward valuing the things that God values is is to direct our resources toward them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being so incredibly generous and patient with us. Thank you for not holding back and forgiving and giving even to the point of giving your son for us. Father, we also thank you for including us in what you're doing in the world and in our cities. We thank you for the honor and the privilege that it is to participate with you in bringing healing and justice and newness to our world. God, forgive us for the times when we don't trust you. Forgive us for the times when we put ourselves or our comfort or our kingdoms before you and before those you have called us to sacrifice for and to love. God, I pray that you would raise up a generous people in this city. God, I pray that you would raise up people who would show your love to those in our community through a radical reordering of our financial priorities. God, you have loved and sacrificed for the people of the Boston area. And so I pray that you would please empower and encourage and challenge us to follow your lead in that. God, help us to trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.